Good day, my name is Pietro Shakarian, and this is the Reconsidering Russia podcast. That was Ivan Savchuk and the Red Army Choir singing Divlus Ya Ne Nebo, which is a traditional Ukrainian folk song. My guest on the program today is Dr. Halina Mokrushina. Dr. Mokrushina is currently enrolled in the PhD program in sociology at the University of Ottawa and is a part-time professor. Her doctoral research deals with the memory of Stalinism and of the Stalinist purges in Ukraine. She holds a doctorate in linguistics and an MA degree in communication. She publishes in Counterpunch, Truthout, and New Cold War on Ukrainian politics, history, and culture. She is also a contributing editor to the New Cold War, Ukraine and Beyond, and a founder of the Civic Group for Democracy in Ukraine. So, Dr. Mukrushina, привет, and welcome to the podcast. Привет, привет, доброе утро. Доброе утро, как дела? Хорошо. Очень хорошо. Итак, now let's talk about Ukraine. You've written much about your native country since the onset of the Ukrainian crisis. And my first question for you is this. Can today's post-Maidan Ukraine be described as truly democratic? Because as you know, there are a lot of Western commentators who say it is truly democratic. Do you agree with this assessment? You know, I think it's a wishful thinking on behalf of many Western observers because they, they, this whole Euromaidan Ukraine myth is so powerful, and and, and this whole myth about myth about democracy in in the Western discourse is, is so powerful that it blinds people to the reality of what's going on in Ukraine. Because if you follow uh, the whole coming of uh, to, to power of this uh, new government was not legal, it was a revolution. So if you are talking about democracy, democracy is one of the aspects is, is the respect for law, right? So I find it hypocritic uh, that you come, you, you, you come to power in an illegal way and, and then you pretend to build a democracy based on respect of, of laws. Um, the actions of, of uh, the Ukrainian president, you know, the Ukrainian government, the way they push through the uh, parliament the laws that they need, the whole hasty way of implementing these uh, reforms, the, the crushing of the dissent opinion, I, I could hardly call it democracy, unfortunately, because what I see in Ukraine, it's not a, it's not a democracy, not even by the closest. By by wildest imagination. Well, there were elections in Ukraine, uh, parliamentary and presidential elections. Would you classify these as free and fair elections? They are, but you know, the, these elections were held right after the the the, the this the coup, the coming, the ousting of power of Yanukovych. And and uh, besides, it's if you look at the results of the let's say parliamentarian elections. The, the, I don't remember exactly how many uh, participated in the vote, I have this number somewhere, but bottom line is that uh, the southeastern Ukraine does not really have a representation in the current Ukrainian government. We have the opposition bloc, but they are in, in, in uh, I don't remember, they have around 30 seats in the parliament. And they voted for the opposition bloc, this uh, uh, classical ex example of, of southeastern Ukraine. They didn't really, and the same for Poroshenko, they didn't really see a, Poroshenko was, had a great potential. He was seen even by Russia as the most, you know, suitable uh, candidate for, with whom Russians can deal, meaning that Poroshenko was seen also by part of southern eastern Ukrainians as their uh, president, but 
what they I believe he really disappointed uh, a lot of electorate even all throughout Ukraine not even in southeastern Ukraine now you recently visited the Donbass tell me about your impressions what were the people like how do they view Kiev uh, how do they view the rebels what do they say about the war uh, what were your impressions generally I traveled to Donetsk uh, because I I was invited and uh, in, in the it's you know people. Um, I was invited. I I won't tell. I won't say the name of this uh, website or news agency. They invited me to write on Ukraine because they liked my articles and they told me that I'm a great specialist in Ukraine. And when they learned that I'm uh, this trip was partly paid by this Russian NGO, they declined the invitation and they said that they regret very much. But because I'm, I guess, biased in their opinion, they want. They won't take me on board, so I, I was disappointed a little bit, but then I understood. Uh, so, yes, I, the, this uh, trip was paid in part by uh, a Russian NGO, but in, in no way we were, you know, we were um, encouraged to, to write whatsoever. They, of course, they took us to places that they uh, thought they were worth seeing, but uh, I requested, for instance, um, a meeting with um, Baryshnikov, who is the main ideologist, or so he presents himself as the ideologist of this Russian Spring in Donetsk. He was a rector of the Donetsk University for a couple of months under the uh, Donetsk People's Republic, and then he was he left for I don't I'm not sure why he left, but now somebody else is in charge. So we talked to him, and then I asked to to talk to Litvino Boris, who at some point was the uh, head of the People's Council of of, uh, of the Republic, so they they arranged for us meetings with people that we requested, and there was no you know, control whatsoever. And of course, they showed this they side, but from what I talked to people there, I, I I've seen that they they are genuinely you know they are local people. Of course, we can discuss and debate for for ages, but the bottom line there was this popular unsatisfaction with, with the government in Kiev. And then people who, like in any uh, movement, you know, you have maybe five, six, six percent of active people who, who who take in charge, and then whatever happens in the next, what we have now. So people I talk to, they are all um, this um, Litvino, he's from Donetsk, Zakhachenko is from Donetsk, then um, Sevokonenko, who, by the, by the way, I, I didn't follow that news, but I, I read in the news that he was um, hurt. He, he he's the head of the um, regional um, recruitment of former Berkut officers. Now these are people who are really who have a who clearly disagree with the current regime in Kiev. And if you follow the, these demonstrations, not only in in Donetsk, but and this is partly why I'm writing what I'm writing because you cannot ignore this genuine anti-Maidan feeling that was spread throughout uh, so all of the southeastern Ukraine, not only in Donetsk. Donetsk and Lugansk became quite logically the, the point of resistance, because if you take these two regions which form Donbass, this is the most pro-Russian region in Ukraine. And you, you follow the, the vote pattern, you, you follow uh, the vote for uh, language, it, it's it's logical. So, and ignore this and to claim that these regions are Ukrainian, you know, it's just to deny the reality. I interviewed a political scientist here at University of Michigan, Yori Zhukov, and he did a study that found that 
actually in areas of uh, of the Donetsk and Lugansk Oblasti, they actually had uh, the rebels had the highest level of support in areas that were high industry. You know where where most of the people relied on the jobs because um, you know the exports went to Russia, and if they went with the EU. Those, the EU has no need for weapons exports or, or manufacturing weapons parts, whereas Russia, the, there is a market for that. So they were afraid of losing their jobs, the factories closing. So, I mean, you're, I, you, you really, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, have you experienced this? That there are a lot of people who are like workers who are dissatisfied with the whole thing? Well, there are because, you know, if we talk about Donbass, for instance, and, and the, the whole southeastern, well, Kharkiv, let's say, even Odessa, you have these two uh, subcultures because we talk in terms of ethnicity, right? We cast uh, because the, the current Ukrainian government does uh, embrace this nationalist ideology and, and version of history clear. But if you take, uh, the, for instance, Donetsk, or if you take uh, Kharkiv, the, the urban culture is a Russian speaking culture, it's a Russian language culture. Ukrainian language is always, and Ukrainian culture in, in this region is associated with the with peasants, with, with the village uh, culture, and and again, why the support for for uh, this anti-Maidan feeling? Well, precisely because the the industrial Ukraine is Russian-speaking Ukraine, and again, the, you have this material basis that the export was well, at least prior to Maidan, was mostly to to Russia. So it's. I mean, if we put aside all of the emotions, it's 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 a, it's an objectivity, right? <laughs> so you got your PhD. I mean, you're originally from Zakarpatsia Oblast in Ukraine, a very kind of linguistically and culturally distinct oblast. And uh, so you talk about this issue of language. Now, Ukraine is very linguistically diverse. You have Zakarpatsia, you have uh, you know the Western Ukraine, Galicia, you have um, you know Central Ukraine, you have Southeastern Ukraine. Tell me about like the linguistic diversity of Ukraine. Well, you know, we talk about in, in, in Africa, right? We talk about thousands of languages, local languages. But still, in any country, you have a one official or national language of communication. My, my point in Ukraine is there is a Ukrainian language, which is the literary language, which was took shape in the 19th century. And it is a separate language. It's not a dialect. It's not a mismatch, as I read about Surzhik. Of course, there is Surjic, yeah. you know, a mix of Russian and Ukrainian language. And if, if we talk about Surjic, we talk about uh, the area of, of central Ukraine, is even southern Ukraine. But uh, like in any country, this is these are regional variations of a literary language, which is codified, which is a fully functional language in, in, in Ukraine and has been even in, in, in the Soviet times. And when we talk about Zakarpatia, we have uh, this is a very um, it is a multicultural region where several uh, ethnic minorities live, have been living for uh, centuries and, and uh, we have Hungarians, we have Romanians, uh, we have even Bulgarians, but mostly people who, who have, have been, like I said, have been living there for ages. So um, this is a multicultural region and, and multilingual region. However, and, and, and the local dialect of Ukrainian is very um, highly, how should I say, it, it, um, it is different from the literally Ukrainian. However, it's still a dialect of a Ukrainian language. And of course, they have highly, you, you can take any, any uh, what we call rayoni or districts, 
and, and you have Lemke, you have Boike, you have Hutsule, but still they understand each other and still this is a dialect of a Ukrainian language. Right. There are some who claim, there are some people who claim that we are Rusins, Rusini, that we are completely distinct. You know, this this Rusini movement has been in, in, in existence since the, the first days of, of the Ukrainian independence. But I, I would, uh, I, do, I didn't study it in, in exactly numbers, but f just for living there and just for talking to my friends and, and looking at, at the official statements of, of uh, regional officials, it, it is a marginal movement. Yeah. It, it does not really enjoy the support of, of, of the whole of the population. So, you know, when I see this analysis that Zakarpati can become another Donbass, I'm very skeptical about it yeah. because they don't they don't enjoy like I said they don't enjoy the support of of, of, of the local because, precisely because of the fact that Zakarpatia is a region of Ukraine they are against this uh, sort of Galician uh, Galician nationalism that they, they had always had a hard time well prior to your Maidan and prior to this so-called Russian aggression that you had really hard time implementing into the Zakarpatia soil because people just by by the by, by the fact of living together in, in Austro-Hungarian uh, empire for instance which was which was a multicultural empire you know and they had quite uh, open policies at least by the end of the, of the of the husband's rule, they had uh, this. They encouraged the, the local uh, culture, and and from uh, 1918 to 39, Zakarpatia was part of the Czechoslovakia, which was also the, well uh, democratic country, and, and Zakarpatia had its own political representation. So it just this this region of Ukraine is is stark star, uh, is a, is. Um, I would not say in a stark contrast, but it, it is different from the rest. Yeah, that's actually my impression is that Zakarpatia is very culturally distinct, but most people in Zakarpatia identify, self-identify as Ukrainians. Yes, they Even, I mean, yeah. It just they don't identify themselves as exclusive, you know, Ukrainians and, and this, this kind of nationalism that is uh, has been uh, popularized in in, in Viv. and when you talk to when you see, when we go back to the early days for independence, let's say, and if, if we talk about Ruh, this uh, democr national democratic um, party or movement in, in Ukraine, uh, you, you would have, I, I remember it quite well because I was at that, that time in, in, in Zakarpatia, they would come with buses from Lviv, you know, and they just to, to mobilize locals for, for this support for the Ukrainian independence, precisely because they felt that there is not enough support. So. Well, how much, I mean, in Ukraine, a lot of people say, well, you know, the Ukrainians as a whole feel like this and that. There's almost like a tendency in many Western media narratives, especially at the beginning of the Euromaidan, to take the Galician, Lviv-style nationalism and, and put it on the entirety of Ukraine. And my question is, how much does this kind of a nationalism have support throughout Ukraine? I would say that this nationalism spread with the annexation of Crimea. And with the so-called Russian aggression, with what they portray, what it's portrayed in the Ukrainian media as, as Russian aggression, because as such, this kind of aggressive nationalism has not been well, except several, you know, I would say marginal organizations like, um, well, no, I would not call them marginal, but they were marginal in on, on the national scale. If you talk, for instance, Svoboda, they had they cells in in 
in Zaporizhia, in, um, in Dnipropetrovsk, but they were not really, they did not enjoy the large support of the population. Yeah. This rise of nationalism, uh, you, you can see it clearly after the Euromaidan, and like I said, after the annexation of Crimea and, and, and the war in eastern Ukraine. And let me ask you, what do you, what do Ukrainians think when Poroshenko appoints somebody like Mikhail Saakashvili, the governor of Odessa, appoints foreigners? Is this how is this received in Ukraine? Well, I think it has a mixed uh, reception, right? Because we uh, we forget we, we we tend to generalize on both sides, right? And it's a it's a mistake because he definitely Poroshenko has support in Odessa a part of Odessa right mm -hmm. there is local population that you can you 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 could watch those videos when Saakashvili you know goes into the streets and and in his stupid I'm sorry <laughs> populist style talks to people and I will solve all of your problems <laughs> well you know it's really I, I don't know what to I know what to how to characterize it. it it's a pure populism that has nothing to do with the real politics and with real improvement of life for Ukrainians. So there is this support. To what extent? I, I cannot tell you because we would need to yeah. quantify this. And of course there is another part of, you, of Odessa which is now in, 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 in the underground because they are afraid because of what happened in, in, in the trade union building a year ago and, and what I was referring to before, this crushing of, of dissent and, and because of, of this uh, popular so-called what is called People's Council um, of uh, Bessarabia, yeah. you know, they, they are definitely they are afraid. So I, I think there is a resistance. I don't think there is a resistance to to this appointment of Saakashvili in in in, in Odessa as, as a governor. But uh, they they just you know they they I guess they wait and, and like most of the population they just you know they are so tired that they just uh, withdraw themselves from this because. They, they need, we forget that, you know, ordinary Ukrainians, they just want to survive, right? So a lot of um, framework which which we come up, uh, don't really, they don't think of nationalism, they don't think of... of but I think on, on I would uh, argue that at least half of, of um, Odessa is against Saakashvili. Yeah, it's a significant part, I mean, at it least is. from what I can see. Yeah. I put, uh, the, the, the support he enjoys, I, I don't know, I, I don't venture into, into guessing, but I, I would say that the, most of the population, well, half, at least half is against it, because it's for obvious reasons. Well, what is, uh, so what do you think was the logic of Poroshenko appointing Saakashvili as the governor of Odessa? I mean, it seems kind of like an outrageous move. I mean, almost like theatrical, comedic, I mean, I, I, I don't, well, I mean, what was the logic of this? I think part of it was really because, well, first of all, they are buddies, right? They studied in the same university. We have, have a decades-old friendship. Second, uh, Poroshenko really, I don't know if he really believes in it. It's I, I cannot read Poroshenko's mind. But I think he really wanted to do, uh, to transform Odessa in some sort of a, um ex exemplary region. Uh, where here what we can do because uh, Saakashvili as uh, many Ukrainians in power now believe uh, Georgians succeeded in what in, in, in reforms so this underlines part of, of his thinking now for, for the economy for economic reasons of course he has his economic reasons because uh, Saakashvili has 
yes, he has his uh, economic interests, and just by this last uh, declaration by Yatsenyuk that he signed, <laughs> or that, that not even signed, but they are prospects of building this terminal with the American company LNJ that had really the majority of people in the management are Georgians. So, of course, there is personal gain, and, and, and there are a plethora of factors, but yes, that's what I think. He's, there are many reasons. But, you know, I just, I just wanted to sh share this with you because about Georgians and this team, I found it really ironic and sad. When, speaking about Zakarpati, because this, is a, this was a video of a young Georgian, I don't know, this guy must, must be 24, 25 years old. Speaking in Russian, you know, the, the irony of all of this, <laughs> that they are so nationalist, but they use Russian. Speaking, yeah. Yeah, and, and he was, he was um, talking um, before uh, in front of, of regional, uh, of the Karpatia um, um, regional MPs, they are elected, right? We are talking about the regional council. What he was saying, he was saying, um, you whatever you did so far, I, I don't know you, but all you are corrupted just by definition, because you have this post-Soviet mentality or you have this Soviet mentality. So whatever you have done so far, it's wrong. We have to dismantle the whole system. You have to change completely your mentality because this is the way to do it. The Your Maidan revolution has to be completed. No, and here you have, and he's, he, he has no clue what he's talking about, this guy, but he's lecturing. Yeah. These people who are locals, who, who grew up in this region, who, who know better than anyone else this population's, um, you know, needs. And, and he's delivering a lecture. To whom? You know? <laughs> this faction of Georgians, this, this pro-Sakashvili, pro-Western faction, actually, it's very unpopular in Georgia, you know, uh, and the, the other thing about it that really strikes me is even Saakashvili's, you know, reforms. I mean, he brought in uh, Kaka Bedukidze, who is an ally of Boris Berezovsky, uh, and he did kind of like a shock therapy, neoliberal-style economic reforms in Georgia that were very ineffective and very unpopular. So there's this idea among these people that, well, we can bring these kinds of reforms to Ukraine, but clearly if they haven't worked in, in Georgia, how would they work in a place where they don't even have local roots? Exactly, and then they don't have a clue, really. I don't know how you, you just parachute uh, <laughs> Georgian in, in Odessa, and you hope, but that was, by the way, I, I forgot, that was one of the official explanations why Poroshenko appointed Saakashvili, because Saakashvili is a guy, he does not have, he has no connection in Odessa, so he will fight corruption, and he will succeed in what locals cannot succeed, because they are all tied up in these criminal structures, and, and all, all that, you know, Jazz about uh, criminal oligarchs and, and, and all of that. Well, there there are forty five million people in Ukraine as a country. There have to be some people in the country who are not corrupt, who want reform, who want. Of course, there are people, but you know the the the, the sadness and the tragedy is that they are not they are not allowed to 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 come. You know. So this is, of course, there are people. Of course, there are Ukrainians who 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 are much better suited to to run their own country. But the problem is that what we have now in Ukraine is in another oligarchic regime. That's what that's what yeah. we have. And then we have just one uh, segment of, of, of the Ukrainian um, population that is now ruling the country. But it, it does not represent the multiplicity and, and the richness that Ukraine has. The only difference, I mean, the only difference it seems to me with, with the government, I mean, distinguishing it from previous government of Yanukovych, is that really it's pro-Western. 
I mean, effectively, it's still an, it's still the same oligarchic, corrupt elite. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Well, of course, it is pro-Western, but the problem I have with this government that they accept all these recipes without any criticism, for God's sake. You know, it just it's it's another way of of, of colonial thinking. It's it's. Uh, I'm sorry, but when I hear Victoria Nuland stating uh, in front of the, I don't remember where he made it. She made ah, she she was interviewed by Schuster in his famous live talk show. She stated that basically all of the Ukrainian presidents robbed the Ukrainian people. Well, I'm sorry, but you know who are you to make a claim and, to make a claim like this? Do you know Ukrainian history? Did you study Ukrainian economics? You know, you just make a very uh, stupid. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's it is. It's a stupid statement, and 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 you know the, 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 there is there is this condescending uh, um, attitude towards Ukrainian that are they are not able to. You know, to rule themselves, they're not able to govern themselves, and we, we have to do that to, to do it for them. And unfortunately, and Yatsenyuk and Poroshenko, that's what they do. They, they abide by uh, American, you know, dictate. And also, it's it's almost like kind of like a, uh, it's almost like a racial mentality that somehow these people can't do it themselves. They need the yeah, West to help them. You know, exactly. And even like I read an article somewhere too that there was somebody who was very pro-Western, and they were. They actually had become disillusioned with uh, Maidan. It was a Westerner, Western commentator. They became disillusioned with Maidan and Poroshenko. And they were saying, in the end, because they were so disillusioned, they said, you know what, Ukrainian society is inherently corrupt, and because they're from the same Slavic society as the inherently corrupt Russians, they're all inherently... Like, I mean, it made sound like the rhetoric. It sounds even... The other thing also, too, that struck me is even how they were characterizing in the Maidan, people, European politicians like Karl Bildt were saying things like, uh, Eurasia versus Europe on the streets of Kiev. This idea that oh, the barbaric Mongolic yeah. Russians. I mean, there, there's like this kind of like a almost like an underlying latent anti-Slavic, you know, racism. There yeah. is. It's very powerful. It's very present. It's anti-Russian, basically anti-Slavic. Like I, 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 I would call it anti-Russian, but it's un, it is anti-Slavic. It's it's a it's an old centuries old you, you, uh, stupid American missionarism about saving the world, about educating, uh, uh, like you said, <laughs> Mongolian Russians stuck in their authoritarianism, and, and that's what it is. And, and this is how it was clad, this Euromaidan revolution since, since the start, and, and that's mainly what, uh, what provoked this reaction in, in me, because from, what, from my upbringing, you know, from my whole life history, I should be you know, singing uh, Alleluia to your Maidan revolution, but for some reason I'm not. And the reason is because I, 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 I see it as they are destroying the other Ukraine. And, and it's not going to last this project, because they are destroying themselves with these st stupid decommunization laws. You know, you, you are, they are acting like uh, Islamic State. They are destroying their own cultural heritage. Well, tell me about that, the decommunization laws. Tell me more about that. What do you think about this? I think this is a really uh, this is very sad. This is it, it. It was imposed on the society. It was done without any social political uh, debate, without asking the population what they re really think. This is uh, precisely what I was saying before. This is a reflection of one ideology present in Ukraine that is crushing the, the other Ukraine, which is crushing the post-Soviet, whatever we can call it, Ukraine that really honors the, the great victory and and by by any means if you want they have they tried to do it this is a continuation of what but yushchenko was not so radical see he tried but he did not succeed 
and he withdrew because he he knew that that country would break if if you do it. And and these these laws have been criticized all even by by my colleagues who have a very Euromaidan stance uh, precisely because you you cannot impose something like this on a society, especially divided society. You need to to uh, to do it carefully. And people have to decide for the, for themselves. You know why why are you now uh, uh, this, you decide to rename the streets. And, and if you take, for instance, Donetsk, how would you go about it? Because Donetsk, the way the, 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 the way this city is now, it, it, was pre, it was built under the Soviet rule. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go back, let's say, to, to historical names, there are no historical names because those streets were built under the Soviet Union. And for instance, if you take Dnipropetrovsk, you know, you, 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 or Dniprodzerzhinsk, you go back to the old name, you, you take the Russian imperial name. I don't remember exactly what the, what the, the name of the city was. So it's, it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's a very wrong decision. And, and, and that, these laws have been criticized by uh, those in Western Europe and, and my colleagues who really, you know, really love Ukraine. And, but it's not a democratic way to do it. And this destruction of, of, of you know, what have, for God's sake, the, the subway, the cave subway was built under the Soviet Union. So what are you going to do now? Why are you going to destroy all the buildings that were built under the Soviets, if you follow this logic? Yeah. And only, we take an innocent, um, what do you call it in English? It's a panneau, it's a, like a mural. It's a, you take a mural representing young pioneers going to school. <laughs> What's wrong with them, you know? And, Take it apart. Well, I mean, I remember at the very, very beginning of the Euromaidan, it was like in December 2013, the research and branding group in Kiev did a study about when they tore down the Lenin statue in Kiev. And they, they asked residents in Kiev, what do you think about this? Overwhelmingly, majority of people had a negative reaction to this. And also, overwhelmingly, too, many people said that they actually compared this action to the actions of the Bolsheviks. Yeah. You know, that this was this was kind of like a vandalism, this kind of thing, you know. But that's what they they have been following <laughs> precisely the Bolshevik <laughs> logic and the Bolshevik methods. And that's the irony of it, you know, because we have, and, and you see it uh, everywhere, you know, in, 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 in their reasoning, in, 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 in this, whoever is against us, is whoever is not with us is against us, and, and this is very powerful <laughs> radical uh, rhetorics and actions and, and, and the, the problem is that they don't they don't take into account people's opinions and, and that's why this whole structure is not going to last well across the border in Russia in the 1990s in the Leki Divinosti they had this whole situation where American economic advisors were descending on Moscow and we're giving the Russian government this shock therapy economic advice. And do people in uh, Ukraine, I mean, do they see this? And do they make a connection between this and U.S. advising current government in Ukraine? I mean, don't they see that that didn't work for Russia? Why would it work for Ukraine? No, they don't see it because, uh, because they are blinded. <laughs> because they are blinded by, by, by this myth about the war with Russia. Russia is an enemy. And, and that's why they don't even, uh, I don't think they reflect on this. They don't see it. I mean, there are people who see, but they don't have access. They, they are not now in power. What about um, the example of, because a lot of people, there's this Europhoria in Ukraine. What do they think about when they see Greece, you know, or, or Spain or Italy? I mean, especially Greece, though. When they see this kind of thing, I mean, doesn't this shatter the myth of Europe being prosperous, heaven, 
paradise that they think it is. They do see it. They do see it and like, well, probably there are a lot of people who see this and who think, but because of this, uh, because of this nationalist ideology, because of this thinking, and because of this active part of, of the political establishment who embraced this uh, European and, and Ukrainian nationalist ideology, they now dominate the society, and they don't have. And people who think differently, they don't have access to to structures of power. They they don't have representation. And what you read in the media, it's very, it's uh, mostly singing, like I was saying before, it's singing a little way to Europe. Europe is going to solve all of our problems. And don't forget that Greece is further compared to Poland, because people see what, what the, the so-called successes achieved by Poland. And uh, seeing this was one of the major factors that uh, drove Ukraine to, to becoming, uh, to wanting to become a member of the European Union. And, and uh, yes, so and and my understanding is, I I think that Ukrainian Ukraine had to do it. It was it was bound to happen because Ukraine had to live this European uh, dream. They had really to go through this and see for themselves what what it represents, what it means. Unfortunately, you know, they did not learn from mistakes that were because you know we we should not forget that Russia and Ukraine, in spite of this stupid discourse about Russia being an imperialist country. I was always saying, you know, Russia had so many problems on its hands. They couldn't care less about Ukraine. And, 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 and Ukraine was cut from, from 1991 onward, you know, the majority I'm talking, I'm not talking about politicians, I'm talking about the population. They were, we were all immersed in our own, own problems. Right. You know, we didn't really, the, the, the exchange really was uh, uh, compared to the Soviet Union, you know, the travels were was very expensive, so the exchanges between Russia and Ukraine dropped, and this is one, one of the problems why Russia lost Ukraine now, precisely because the, these ties remained only family ties, between, you know, you have a cousin and you'd call him or you, you go and see him, but otherwise the, 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 the intensity of, of ties between Russia and Ukraine diminished significantly and that's why one of the reasons that most Ukrainians they don't even know what happened in Russia and and you uh, you 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 read uh, for instance impressions of Ukrainians who went actually to Russia and have seen for themselves that Russia is not you know by, by any stretch of imagination and, and a, a, you know dictator of Putin's dictatorship and 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 you know that this myth that only Moscow was rich and um, well off and and the rest of Russia is uh, they, they are poor villages and and people drink and all of that you know I'm just surprised how Ukrainians I thought that they had have this powerful anti dot you know from Soviet times but somehow they they, they believed in this <laughs> European myth, and in many aspects, I think this European myth—it's like it's a nostalgia. It's a disguised partly. It's a disguised, disguised nostalgia for those Soviet times. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. I mean, I think that you know, this is something I also encounter because uh, I've done a lot of extensive research in Armenia, you know, and this kind of a thing. And I've been—I've actually was in—I lived in the the regions, the countryside, and a lot of poverty and um, unemployment, and this kind of a thing, and people. They, they, there, there seems to be this mentality that, well, uh, well, first of all, there's this need. It's very apparent for social justice, you know, which no politician, no, none of these politicians in the former Soviet Union has seriously addressed, you know. But the other thing about it is um, that, that really strikes me is that people 
seem willing almost to invest. They believe that one person or one idea or one thing yes. can solve every single yes. issue. That's what I, I, I'm saying that you know, Ukraine's problem is that they don't have their own Putin. That's it. Because they know, yeah. but the, 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 this is the reality, you know, and we can... Of course, there are different mentalities in Ukraine also and in, in Armenia. But but the, if we talk about the, the, I don't know, the majority of, of, of Ukrainians, there were reasons for which socialism took ground in Russia, in Ukraine, in, in Armenia, in Georgia. And, and we cannot ignore it, because if we ignore it, we won't understand those countries. And no Western reform will work in Ukraine, because the bottom line is... We, we have a different mentality, you know, and what are you going to do now? Are you going to re-educate the whole Ukrainian society? You know, because these puppets of, of not puppets, but these, they, they follow the Western uh, discourse and recipes, hoping that they will, they are going to re-educate the whole country. Well, I'm sorry, but it's going to take <laughs> centuries to, to, to explain to them what, how, that you should play by Western. Why would she? Why would they? Why should they play by Western rules? You know, you should, you should, uh, it just those and and these reforms, you know, they have been reforming Ukraine for 25 years, and there are reasons for which even Yanukovych and 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 uh, Yushchenko himself, they did not uh, adopt these drastic Western reforms because they knew what would follow. Right, and actually, that's the one thing that what I what, what strikes me is you have these people who come in with these neoliberal recipes for these former Soviet countries, mm -hmm. but the people, the mentality is actually, I mean, the the, the economics that most people in these countries favor is, is very leftist it's very yeah, socialistic exactly yeah. and <laughs> they don't get it and they and, and that's why they are going to fail because you yeah. cannot like i said you you have to re-educate the whole country in this western style of style of mind and why would why why should they you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm not anti-western but, but you know i live now in this society and I, I i've seen these people i believe i understand to a certain extent their way of thinking and 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 well these are historically culturally different you know mentalities and that's it and and it just doesn't work whatever works in 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 canada is not going to work in ukraine and and yeah. and poroshenko by the way he's a ukrainian also by his mentality that's why he's he's <laughs> you know, he's pretending and and he he uh, I, it's not going to, to to work otherwise you would have to import all of the managers and rulers from from the states you know like they did in india you have to have a colonial administration that is going to rule for ukrainians and and that's really a tragedy because ukraine is smart enough ukrainians are uh, intelligent enough to do it for themselves yeah and actually when you think about ukraine you think about the pantheon of you know great historical cultural figures you think of shevchenko you think of gogol lesa ukrainka the rocket scientist Karol Yulf, the filmmaker Dovshenko, I could go on and on and on. My point is that there are these great, talented people in Ukraine's history, and yet there is a sense that we can't achieve anything, that we can't do things for ourselves. But, you know, when you look at the history, you can see these, you know, phenomenal uh, cultural and historical and scientific figures. And so it's it's quite sad this mentality actually. You know, Peter, because one part part of the reason, part of the problem is that the, because of this Western discourse, Ukrainians uh, came to think about themselves as a failure, as losers. You know, because they did not achieve this, but they did not achieve that. It, it's a wrong take on on their own own history. You know, why do you think? Why now you interpret this whole seventy years of of Ukrainian Soviet history as a complete? failure. Well, I'm sorry, you know, but it's not. You you have to, of course, we talk about real research, historical research and we talk about 
historical myths that are present in any country. And if, if you build your, your own national mythology, your national historical imagination on, on stressing that you were ruled by colonization, you know, what colonization are we talking about? We, we have the, the whole east, southeastern Ukraine was industrialized, industrialized under the Soviet Union and, and, and the Soviet leadership invested more money in, in, in Ukraine than they did in Russian industrial base. You, you have Ukrainian in, 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 in the elite of the Communist Party, you have many Ukrainians, you know, we you cannot, it's, it's wrong to interpret Ukrainian history in, from the framework of colonial history, because Ukrainians was not a colony of, in, in the Soviet Union, yeah. I'm sorry, but this is what it is. <laughs> and, and this is part of how they did, what they did in, in, in uh, what this liberal intelligentsia did in Russia, they instilled in, in people this shame uh, of their own history. And, and then you, you have to, to justify yourself and then you, you don't believe in yourselves anymore. You, you, you ruin people's self-confidence and that's what they are doing now to Ukraine. They, they are explaining to them that what, they did, what you did was wrong, that you... you it, it's, it's very sad, but that's what it is. The mentality I often encountered in Armenia is that people would say to me, you know, Soviet times, you know, weren't so bad but there was no freedom. The only issue was that there wasn't freedom, but we had a social system. We had, I mean, they would, I mean, people would reminisce about, they would arrest us if you didn't, if you were caught not working. There was this idea that you had to work and you had, a, everybody had a job. You know, maybe it's a bit over-idealized to some extent. Of course extent. it is, yes, but, but you know, there is truth to, to what people remember. There are reasons for which people remember this and they don't remember but you know about the so-called famous freedom. Well, I'm sorry, but if you even talk, even take this pussy riot, girls. You know, if it shocks, if it, it's 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 for for the majority of the population, why should they be you know left? Well, you, you don't. I don't know. There are laws for doing. But my point is, if the whole of the society and and it it it's true not only about Russia or Ukraine. If they don't want, you know, if they don't accept these values, so why do you impose those values on them? And on yeah. and under what right you build, you decide that these values are the right values, and they have to live by them. Well, precisely because of the economy, you know, because <laughs> they, the the GDP is bad. But the bottom line is that the they don't in in the Western world they don't understand they 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 don't take into account this difference in values. What is the state of the Ukrainian economy today, by the way? It's very bad. It's very bad. The the the, the GDP uh, drop is by eight seven point five percent projected, and is real drop in GDP for this year. And the an average salary dropped to under two hundred dollars. And and uh, the the in, uh, industrial production is declining by eighteen percent. It's it's really it's 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 in a, in a terrible state. Can the West save Ukraine? No, it cannot. It cannot because they don't have enough money, they don't care enough about Ukraine. No, they cannot. Because it would require billions and billions and they don't have uh, those money. Recent polls have shown a decline in support for EU and NATO membership in Ukraine. What do you think about this? I think people are now starting to sober up. That's what it is. They realize this is what I was saying before. They had to leave this European dream, because what economists were saying to them, it's it, it's one thing, but you know what you imagine, it, it's it's a different thing. So that's what what's happening now, and maybe the major 
someday Ukrainians, ordinary Ukrainians and politicians will come to the realization that Yanukovych was right in the sense when he came to power. He said that Ukraine should remain a neutral country. Now, if Ukraine joins NATO, I mean, wouldn't they have to buy, like, weapons and high-tech military equipment? I mean, they don't have any money for this. No, they don't. And also, what threat? I mean, people could say the Russian threat. But why, I mean, when, why would you aim missiles at Russia? Wouldn't this create more problems? I mean... If Russia really wanted to invade Ukraine, they would have already done so. And I don't understand how Ukrainians don't, <laughs> don't understand this simple fact. No, that if, if, if we're talking about last summer, right, they're saying that there were I don't know how many thousands of Russian troops on, on the ground. If Putin really was a dictator and was this, you know, maniac, it, he, why would he ask the, the uh, rebels in Donetsk and Luhansk to stop and not take Mariupol, for God's sake? If my, my colleagues from the Ukrainian diaspora were saying, well, because uh, Putin needs this corridor, you know, to Crimea. That's why they are going to take the whole, the old southeastern Ukraine. They were crying, they were shouting about this last year. Do we, we have a Russian occupation now? No. But when they have to like, if it has, it's a corridor to Crimea, I mean, Mariupol is part of Donetsk Oblast. They would yes. have to go to like Zaporozhye and deep into Ukraine territory to reach Crimea. Yes, but there is this irrational, uh, I don't know, hatred of Russia and Putin. <laughs> they it just blind them to, to obvious, you know, geopolitical <laughs> facts, and, and that's what really, and that's what I realized, you know, by talking here to my former colleagues or maybe co still colleagues from the Ukrainian diaspora. The moment you start talking to them about Russia, that's it. Yeah. They, 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 they fly off the handle. Their, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might as well, you know, just stop and, and switch the subject. Because for them, Russia is just something, it's the whole myth about uh, Russian, you know, irrationality and, 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 and you know, this, I won't repeat it again. What is the future for Ukraine? What do you see happen next in this drama? I don't know. Like I said, probably there will be a slow awakening and sobering up, but it's going to last not for months, for several years, and I believe at the end, uh, I don't know, it will be maybe they follow the Georgian scenario, in, in the sense that they will they will do continue uh, do this soul-searching, you know, in terms of, of uh, history, in terms of ideology, in terms of economy, it's going to be a wreck for several years to come. Because these Western reforms uh, will, you know, will, I don't know, there is this very good Russian and Ukrainian word, uh, meaning that they will, you know, get stuck in the mud. And they, they will t t continue talking for years about the yeah. reform. Well, it's like this idea of zastoya, you know, like a stagnation, like nothing is Well, precisely because Ukraine needs its own way, its own... Uh, in terms of economy, in terms of, of a political uh, structure, they have to find it. But it's going to take many years, and, and that's my uh, my take on, on the future of Ukraine. But it will be painful. It will be a painful process for all, all of Ukrainians, unfortunately. All right. Well, Dr. Mokrushina, thank you very much for this excellent interview and your time. And uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Petra. <laughs> that was Dr. Halina Mokrushina. And this is the Reconsidering Russia podcast. Thank you very much, and as always, good night and good luck.